Hello, everyone. This is Manny Fishman, the chair of the real estate group in Northern California for Buckhalter. I am recording our first podcast of 2024 and wanted to make this introduction before we begin our discussion because our panelists use some acronyms that might not be familiar to everyone. So here are the acronyms. CARB, C-A-R-B, which stands for the California Air Resources Board, a regulatory agency in California. EUI, which is energy use intensity, which is a energy star term. And basically a low EUI is good because it has low energy use intensity. And the third term is CCA which stands for the Community Choice Aggregation, which is a California program whereby communities can purchase electricity separate from PG&E. So with that, you all now can listen to this wonderful podcast. And when we use these wonderful acronyms, you will know what they mean. Thank you. Welcome, and I am joined today by John Kendrick, our Council in Sacramento that specializes in energy law, and Tom Arnold, the CEO of Gridium, an energy software and consulting firm in the Bay Area, working with many downtown commercial owners on dealing with um, energy efficiency. This really is our third annual podcast on energy. So it's great to welcome back John and Tom. Thank you both. I thought this year we would focus on three topics. One is a recent case uh, from uh, the city of Berkeley. The second is PG&E rates and what's happening with electrical rates. And third is energy efficiency and how to incorporate that into our building operations. So starting with the city of Berkeley case, uh, John, I know you made a recent presentation on that and have spoken about it. Can you briefly tell us what that case was about and what the court held. Yeah, so all the way back in 2019, uh, the city of Berkeley passed an ordinance which prohibited the installation of natural gas piping in newly constructed buildings. And this was, you know, a, a way of trying to reduce or eliminate the use of natural gas. It, it was driven by concerns about climate change. And it was challenged by a coalition of restaurant owners. Um, they said, hey, look, you know, this is essential to what we're doing. Uh, when we have a restaurant, we need gas to cook. Uh, and so the challenge came in. It, it was being challenged by the restaurant group. In some sense, they, they were acting as a proxy for uh, groups like Southern, uh, Southern California Gas, uh, which, you know, obviously is a gas-only utility. They view any sort of attempt to limit or, uh, limit or eliminate natural gas it's kind of an existential threat to their business, right? Um, so it goes on up to the district court. District court uh, rejects the restaurant association's challenge. Uh, that gets appealed up to the Ninth Circuit. And the Ninth Circuit initially comes out with a decision, uh, judge in the Ninth Circuit that says, no, we're not, we're not going to allow this. Uh, they strike down the ban. Berkeley challenges that, goes on bonk, right? Gets a, a panel of judges to now come in. And the panel looked at it, and they ultimately decided that it didn't pass muster uh, under the, the Energy Policy and Conservation Act, EPCA, which is policy, um, 
is really addressed towards energy efficiency and energy usage. It, it really is um, both a labeling requirement and a performance standard requirement. Uh, and so they took a look at this and they said, you know, under EPCA, uh, when you were saying that you're not going to allow natural gas pipes to be installed in new buildings, what you're really saying is that you're not going to allow natural gas appliances to use natural gas. So you're limiting the quantity of energy that's being used. Uh, so using that, they said, look, this is preempted under federal law. Uh, federal government's already spoken to this. Uh, local jurisdiction, you can't do this. What's interesting about that is how did it get that far for such a clear preemption argument? And I suppose the city of Berkeley, you would have thought, if I if I remember right, they were arguing, no, we didn't outright ban uh, gas products. We just said you couldn't, you know, those the the pipes you couldn't use pipes for that. Yeah, yeah. So Berkeley's argument is is basically we're not banning appliances that use natural gas. We're just saying that you can't install the infrastructure for it, right? Um, now, I, I mean, I think that there there are arguments both ways on whether or not the the preemption applies here, um, and, and it gets it gets pretty deep. Um, there's a couple dissents. There's a couple concern uh, concurrences that kind of roll through things but i i think really the ultimately i don't think this ban or uh, striking down the ban is going to have the impact that some people were trumpeting right some people were trumpeting ah oh, this is the end of natural gas bans right and the reality is what will flow out of this decision is a patchwork in another way right you're going to have a lot of different jurisdictions doing a lot of different things to get at the same problem uh, and so, and you'll have it at the state level, you'll have it at the local level. I, I mean, if you look at what the state's already done, uh, the, at the, at the state level, the public utilities commission has, uh, eliminated, uh, gas line extension subsidies, right? So you build a new development. Um, in the past, there was a process that made it easier for the developer to extend the natural gas lines to their new development. Now they're going to have to bear those costs up front. If you look at what the Bay Area Air Pollution Control District is doing, right, they, they took a look at this and they said, you know what, we're not going to regulate natural gas, but we are going to say for certain appliances within the home, we're going to have uh, emission standards, right? It's got to be low NOx. And so you control it from a pollution perspective rather than a climate change perspective. Uh, you've got jurisdictions that are taking a look at this and they're saying, you know what, we're still going to regulate natural gas in the home or in your new commercial buildings, but we're going to set it up as a building, an overall building performance standard. And we're going to set that standard so tight, we're not going to say that you have to use a heat pump, but it's going to be impossible to meet this performance standard without given current technology without using a heat pump. Thank you so much. That was a great uh, summary. Um, yes, Tom. Yeah, I was. I would just uh, chime in here, um, and I think John lays it out uh, excellently. You know, if you've got a real estate portfolio, and and your, your job is sort of to read the tea leaves on the policy uh, front, this is a nothing burger on the tea leaves. Yeah. Um, you go look at the boiler in the basement uh, that's natural gas; its days are numbered. The only question is which agency is going to. Uh, ban it and how they're going to ban it, but there's so many attacks from local jurisdictions, CARB, BACMED, 
everyone has identified this as, as a source that they are going to attack in their policy plans, um, that there's almost no way that your natural gas infrastructure survives past the mid 2030s. Uh, and that, that is a massive challenge for building operators. And what's interesting is the contrast that the city of Berkeley took to the way New York is beginning to regulate um, electricity and fossil fuels. Um, and uh, Tom, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, we've seen two basic policy thrusts across uh, the United States and internationally. Um, you, you have a series of bans, um, and those look like new construction bans or Berkeley or even San Francisco. And as people get into the complexity, especially in large commercial, um, you see the other theme getting more weight, which is building performance, um, which is acknowledging that this is not an easy problem, that there are no overnight solutions, that the capital involved is large and difficult to come by and has recovery problems, um, and that a better solution for everybody is establishing a guide path, path um, making sure that um, uh, whatever policy environment you're in, you've set long-term goals um, and, uh, and that you're making a series of improvements to uh, make those goals. This is true in the corporate realm, of, of course, as well. I mean, two-thirds of the Fortune 500 has a, a net zero climate uh, commitment at this point. Um, most of those commitments are uh, firm in a long-term uh, nature, uh, but soft in how you get there. Uh, and so I do think as you see this uh, evolve and more cities pay attention to it, you will see more weight on building performance. And that's going to include electric efficiency as well as site emissions. Um, and uh, the natural gas, of course, is the major sort of site, uh, source of site emissions. The New York law is not perfect in its own sense, but as you say, it does provide a nice carrot and stick approach uh, and doesn't say the way the city of Berkeley appeared to do, we're banning this. It's just incentivizes it by uh, imposing penalties, significant penalties, if you exceed a certain amount. Um, and what's interesting is not all electricity is created equal, but at least in New York, it's all created equal. That's certainly true. And, and of course, this is very frustrating if you happen to have leased your building to uh, a tenant that has high uh, EUI use because of data center or, uh, or anything else like that. Um, and there's there's still numerous data centers uh, littered over the over <laughs> San Francisco, um, and and so that is a tricky part of it uh, um, in terms of the actual emissions incentive. I think that New York here it, and in general the West Coast markets um, uh, are going to react differently. I think there's going to be a lot more because of our uh, robust renewable market infrastructure. There's going to be a lot more emphasis on at the very least, decarbonizing the electric supply. You've seen that in San Francisco. You've seen that with the CCAs and many of the CCAs are uh, our, our local municipal organizations that are the default provider uh, moving to 100% as the default option. Um, I think you'll see more and more attempts to make sure that at least at an attribute level, 
the energy supply coming in from electricity has 100% renewable attached to it. Um, and that you're going to see more and more of that. And you're also going to see a fundamental building performance standard that is EUI focused and CO2 focused. We'll definitely get back to the building performance issue as our last topic, but it's a wonderful segue what you just said to the second topic, which is even as we focus on electricity and more renewable electricity, the rates that PG&E and other utility companies are going to charge for it are just going up for a variety of reasons, um, in part uh, to respond to recent fires, in part to improve the grid. Uh, but it, it's a big challenge. And John, I know you follow that. So can you talk about that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think that was a nice quick summary right there. So, I mean, if you look at year-on-year -year rate increases from PG&E and from other uh, major investor-owned utilities uh, over the last decade or so, um, it's far outpaced the rate of inflation. I, I think it's averaged about 13% in PG&E. I think it might be 14% down in San Diego Gas and Electric. So we have this ongoing trend of increasing rates over the last decade. And part of that is, as you noted, responding to uh, wildfire concerns, right? Uh, undergrounding lines, uh, making the grid more safe. Uh, part of that is just we've got all of these different state priorities when it comes to um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, when it comes to climate change, and we've really prioritized electrification. Uh, one thing that really concerns me uh, going forward in terms of rates is the fact that there's already been $2.8 billion of authorized expenditure for transportation electrification. Only $333 million has actually been spent to date, which means that there's about two and a half billion dollars of those authorized expenses that will ultimately end up in your rates. They're not there yet because they haven't been spent yet. But and when you look at this, when 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 we're moving away from natural gas and moving towards electrification, there's all sorts of upgrades that need to be uh, investments that need to be made uh, in order to, to accomplish that. And the utilities are promised a, a certain rate of return on those investments when they make them. And so uh, when you look at somebody like PG&E, they're not going to push hard against saying, hey, tell us to make these investments because we'll get a rate of return on that. We have seen phenomenal growth and rates for uh, customers of investor-owned utilities, and we're going to continue to see phenomenal growth in those rates over the next I would say the near to medium term. John, John's exactly right. And some customers know this because they pay attention, uh, but people are currently getting blindsided by bills. You know, your January bills are just hitting and the January uh, rate increase for PG&E commercial customers was 16%. For direct access customers, it was uh, closer to 25%. That is going to pop on everyone's variance report. And if you don't understand it now, you're going to understand it. And for many people, this is a budget buster. Like if you if you didn't know this um, and you didn't budget for it, it is a budget buster. And unfortunately, as occupancy drops, not all of that is recoverable. I mean, it, it's going to hit your NOI. Um, and it's going to be a tenant issue. Um, people are going to notice 
the massive increase in energy expenses and and also many people are not using their space to the extent that they once were and so it, it again sours the relationship between the tenant and the landlord john is exactly right this is this is uh, coming at, at a most unwelcome time, but it's gonna continue. And, and one example here is just to reinforce how this works. It's not like some evil maniacal PG&E CEO sets the rates. Uh, it is a regulated rate of return, which means the capital base is what sets the rates essentially. And uh, that, that uh, uh, capital base um, or the rate base of the, of the utility in a in PG&E, for example, is is currently fifty billion dollars, um, and you know they get ten and a half <laughs> points on that fifty billion dollars on the equity side, and they are telling Wall Street that that's going to go to ninety billion dollars by twenty twenty seven, and utilities are fairly conservative, so that is a sense of what the spending is going to be. And I think we will be here in not too many years talking about 50 cent average system rates in PG&E territory. That's just how the math works. It has um, such a domino effect. And I, I, you know, I wanna bring it back a little bit to basic, basic real estate and basic real estate leasing. I think Tom said it right. There's a disconnect between the tenant and the landlord uh, because of this. Uh, space is empty. Um, not all tenants um, are, are, have built out their space to be efficient, and the landlord um, uh, has the cost in its base year, and so is paying a lot of this number while it's going out to lease. We need to get the landlord and tenant aligned to, to both realize that every kilowatt that's going through is a tenant cost. Um, yep. 2024... Um, is going to be a reset year in commercial real estate. What do I mean by reset? 2023 uh, was still a, uh, we didn't know where the market was going to be. Are people coming back to the office? Will there be large leases? I think we're seeing a bit of a traction in the market and we know what the numbers are going to be for the rates, for leasing rates um, and for people buying buildings to lease out. So if it's a reset year, if electricity costs are gonna go skyrocketing, we can't have that all borne by the landlord in a base year. And what I'm getting at is we're going to see net leasing where electricity is billed net directly to tenants and tenants are gonna to have to get aligned on, on that. I 100% agree with you. One of the biggest trends in our customer base is the request for tenants up metering. Uh, to enable that lease uh, cost sharing. Um, uh, that's especially true in life science, uh, but it's also increasingly true in office because uh, there's an issue of equity there and um, people want the incentives aligned. They want to they want to pay their share and they're happy to pay their share um, uh, and they don't want this sort of old method of taking the costs and spreading them like peanut butter across, or across the camp. I think that says a lot where your business comes in, where Gridium's business comes in. Um, there needs to be building standards for build out uh, so that these efficiencies get built into the tenant space and the distribution um, of, of the equipment that, that's in the tenant space. 
That's absolutely right. I mean, increasing ener energy prices also uh, it widened the gap between the winners and the losers. And just a couple anecdotes uh, here. One of the things we did was in COVID was study how much uh, energy went down uh, as a result of the COVID shelter in place. And the results are both dismaying and optimizing uh, in, 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 in a sense. And just some numbers here. Uh, on average, San Francisco real estate during the depth of the shelter in place, energy use uh, dropped something like 15% in completely empty, completely vacant towers. And uh, for years, BOMA has been, has been said, well, about half of your energy is fixed and half of it is variable. And so that's obviously not true. What, what is interesting is the most advanced buildings um, achieved 45, 50, 60 percent reductions during that uh, time period because they're more able to match the provision of energy services to actual demand in the building um, uh, from humans. And that creates a massive competitive advantage, especially if you're burdened by those costs in your NOI um, or tenants are sensitive to operating costs in buildings, which they always are. Um, and so what we are seeing is increased adoption of LED lighting, increased adoption of DDC control systems, uh, increased sophistication of uh, operators in, or in terms of operational tuning. Uh, more and more people are, are actively interested in, in managing energy for the economics of the building. And that's before we layer these building performance and sustainability standards onto it. It's, it's almost like the market had a sea change of being leasing driven to being operating cost focused. Uh, that's a great segue to our last topic, which is um, a sense of, you know, complacency uh, in what I sense the market about uh, implementing uh, these performance standards. There it seems to be two groups uh, one might be the publicly traded or larger real estate holding companies that clearly have gotten it and have already implemented programs. And there just seems to be a large group of, um, call them historically mid-rise class B or B C buildings, but even some uh, institutionally owned A buildings that just haven't gotten the message. Um, and uh, this is the wrong year not to get the message in my view. Uh, but we're starting out with a very slow quarter and to devote capital to the changes that are needed is just getting tough. But I just note a real complacency in the market about it uh, beginning in 2024. And I think we just need to energize people that we're, th this is just the, the first bad year. It, it's The, the costs are going to go up. The costs are going to go up. And of course, you know, among the more sophisticated operators, they were fully aware of this great change as of summer when the filings dropped. Uh, uh, they work with firms like Gridium, who uh, and, and your firm that helps alert them to these uh, issues. Um, uh, you're right. When we walk into other towers, it's completely different. In fact, many people don't even know simple things like the fact that fluorescents are no longer available for sale starting next year. Uh, and and that, that means that if you provide a lighting service in a tower, you've got a real issue. You can't distribute fluorescent bulbs starting next year. And Manny, I, I, I mean, I, I assume this is actually affecting transactions as well. I mean, I, just in our own customer base, we've seen diligence periods that are quite long and quite extensive. 
and a lot of it focuses focuses on performance of the building or or risks uh, in the building. John, uh, I want to give you a bit of the final word. Uh, what do you see in 2024 on the legislative front? We're in an interesting moment because the Public Utilities Commission is is the one who authorizes these rates, right? And they they for a long period of time they've kind of um, you know, recognizing the challenges, recognizing the mandates, and recognizing, uh, particularly with PG&E, you know, I mean, recently having emerged from bankruptcy, they've given them a lot of what they've been asking for. Um, there's a new focus in the Public Utilities Commission. They, they've got an affordability proceeding going on where they, they recognize that these costs have um, increased in a way that's not tenable, um, it's not equitable, um, you know, when, when you start looking at the impact um, of these rate increases, it's almost like a regressive tax on lower income, right? And, and so I think you're going to see some more focus on affordability, not just within the affordability proceeding, but leaking into uh, other, other proceedings. And I mean, recently, for the first time in a long time, um, they, they denied a rate hike, right? Um, and, and, and so... I think hopefully the Public Utilities Commission is recognizing that they need to take a more proactive role in protecting consumers. Tom, final word from you. I think uh, John is right. You'll continue to see that pressure. Um, I, I think you'll also, this is the year where we're starting to get clarity on, uh, on BACMED and CARB. Uh, which are the other regulatory agencies um, uh, for real, that real estate needs to pay attention to. And if I were a betting man, I think that San Francisco, sort of our home market, um, drifts toward a building performance standard as part of their large uh, commercial uh, uh, regulation. And uh, you, we've seen that nationwide as well. We've seen it across the country. I think we'll see more of that. Uh, the challenge for owners, of course, is to digest that, especially if they have buildings in different uh, locales. Well, thank you both. It's a pleasure to do the podcast with you and um, hoping for the best for everyone in 2024.